quite a show you two put on. I didn't start anything. Well, you sure finished it, though, didn't you? What was I supposed to do? Just stand there? It's not fair. What the hell does fair have to do with it? I got a big news flash for you, Tammy. Life isn't fair. You're going to have to scrape and claw for everything you want, just like the rest of us. You know, for years you've been belly aching and complaining about how your life sucks, but you haven't done one single thing to make it better. It isn't magic, you know. You can't just bitch and moan and expect change. You think this house just fell on my head one day? I had to work hard. You had any idea how hard we had to work? We didn't have anything handed to us. You need to grow up, honey. You don't know anything about me. You're not that mysterious. You need to focus on getting together. Why don't you figure out what it is that you really want and just go after it? I'm gonna go blow up some fireworks. Happy birthday, America! It's the Fourth of July. I get to wake up in your freedom, but sometimes I wonder why. Seem like everybody's pissing on the red, white, and blue. Happy birthday, America! Whatever's left of you. Welcome to the main event. Happy 4th of July weekend. Happy birthday, America. I opened up with that clip from the movie Tammy, which doesn't sound like a movie I probably watch very often. It's with Melissa McCarthy and uh, Susan Sarandon and Kathy Bates. Um, it's a uh, it's it's a moderately funny movie, and uh, you know it just comes on on cable, and Don and I are sitting there watching. I go, and then we got to that we got to that part where I'm kind of almost dozing off, and I go. Wow, that's a good scene. Actually, somebody telling it like it is. Okay, I like that. I like that. Okay, so yeah, you know, uh, you know, you you want something in this life, you got to fight for it. You don't just get to have it because of the color of your skin or because you deserve it because you're here. You don't get to go to college because uh, of the color of your skin or you you know it's the it's the uh, you know hey that's the the quotas that they have to have. We'll talk about that more. More, you know, it's, uh, and if life is tough, it's not because of the color of your skin. It's not because, uh, where you grew up. It's not because what your parents did. 
it's because of how hard you work. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, and it's, uh, you know, life is tough for everybody, for everybody. And I'll tell you, you know, I've been poor and I've been rich and uh, rich is more fun, but it's not without stress. You know, the stresses and the tra- and the problems in life come whether you uh, whether you've got lots of money or you've got no money. It, the the stress is just a little different, but it's still pressure. It's still pressure, and it's still uh, it's still life. So uh, you know what? We need to start teaching that to to kids, and we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. Uh, that song was "Happy Birthday America" by Toby Keith. If you've never seen Toby Keith in concert, if he actually comes back around, he uh, canceled his last year's concert tour because of stomach cancer, and hopefully he's doing well um, and actually gets back out on the road. But if you've never seen a Toby Keith concert, even if you're not a country music fan, if you're an America fan, that is an experience. You know, if you look at the movie uh, uh, Due Date, no, not Due Date, Knocked Up, Knocked Up where the where uh, I think his name's Ken Jong, Ken Young. The the doctor he goes, hey, you know, hey, hey, we're trying to get a life experience. Hey, you want a life experience? Go to a Billy, uh, uh, go to a Jimmy Buffett concert. And uh, you know, hey, you know what? If you want a patriotic experience, go to a Toby Keith concert. It's awesome. He's a, he's a, he's awesome. He's just awesome. Is all I could say. So anyway, I'm going to talk about what's going on this week and my opinion of it. And my interpretation of it. But first, before I do, let me introduce myself. For those who don't know me, my name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and there's more and more coming on, if you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to talk about real estate or finance, but you don't want to talk on the phone just yet because it's a little too personal... Or uh, you know you're at work, you don't want your uh, your uh, your neighbors your neighbors to hear your personal stuff. Go to edhoffman.net. Click on the United American Mortgage logo. That'll take you to my lending page. Put in all your information that you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back. You'll ha- you'll hear back from myself or one of my talented teammates. We'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Whether that is buying a piece of property that you'd like to own, and whether that's in uh, California or another state. Or uh, refinancing a piece of property that you already own, whether that's in California or another state, or uh, get or f- uh, learning more about those uh, reverse mortgage things that everybody's talking about, give you a little bit more money to complete your life. Hey, you know what? I'm uh, I'm still young, I'm still healthy, but I'm in my sixties, and uh, uh, but I just think I got more years and I got money. Um, but that reverse mortgage thing, I just haven't heard good things about it. Call me, I'll tell you. I have one on my house. I certainly don't need it. I could pay. I could. I could pay off all my bills. Write a check right now, and uh, I don't need it. But I think it's an awesome financing tool, and I'll tell you why. Call me eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. If you uh, miss part of the show, or uh, or uh, you miss part of it, stay on edhoffman.net. Click on the podcast page. You can hear this show as well as several past shows. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, Apple Podcast. In fact, uh, you can find it in just about any, well, no matter what kind of cell phone you have, you can uh, go on the podcast app and just search uh, Ed Hoffman, the main event. And, uh, and I think I helped someone in my, uh, in my Christian men's group the other night, and I just put in Ed Hoffman, and it popped up. So uh, I know there's more people with podcasts named Ed Hoffman, and there's more shows called the main event than mine. You used to have to put them both in, but apparently, uh, apparently mine's 
popping up to the top. All right. So I guess uh, more of you guys are listening on podcasts. Good good for you. If you have any comments on the show, send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net. And uh, I hear I, I read them all and I will uh, respond to them or sometimes I, I'll email you back. Um, okay. So let's talk about what's going on this week. So uh, it's the end of June. And that means final release of Supreme Court decisions until fall. Uh, the court issued decisions on key cases concerning a number of matters, including, first, immigration. The court handed the Biden administration a victory in long-running fight about how to enforce our immigration laws. The case, the United States versus Texas, concerned the Biden administration's attempt to set guidelines for whom immigration authorities can target for arrest and deportation. So you'd think, hey, if you came over illegally, first we arrest you, then we deport you. But that's not the case. In short, Biden administration only wants to prioritize illegal immigrants' arrest and deportation cases that are, quote, threats to public safety or national security, end quote. How's anyone supposed to know what that, what, which cases are those? Well, they seem like nice people. I don't think there are any threats. You know, and, uh, you know, how do, how do they come up with that? Oh, we'll figure it out later when they start, when they start uh, causing problems. Oh, yeah, by that time, you don't know where they're at. Texas and Louisiana sued to block the guidelines, arguing that, that they are preventing immigration authorities from doing their jobs. You know, certainly we have no shortage of, uh, of crimes and murders in this country. And we hear more and more about, oh, this guy was murdered. And when, when they uh, caught the guy, they found out he'd been deported three times. He was here illegally and whatever the case. And, you know, especially in the last few months when we're having more, uh, more Middle Eastern people come over and more people from China. You would think you would think that most of the people that aren't walking distance, that are not in a connected country, that they would actually, you know, get on a plane, go through customs, you know, sign the sign the guest sign the guest log, and uh, come in legally. But why do that when you could just fly over to Mexico and then walk across? It's not a secret. Um, in fact, before I go on to the next part. Uh, I was talking to my pool guy this morning as he's cleaning my pool, and he said uh, his mom lives in Hawaii, and she had a has a friend who lives in Japan that that was visiting in Hawaii, and she goes, "What's going on with your country, man? We're just over there laughing at you guys, you know, men dressing up as women, all this crazy stuff. Is this for real, or is it just is it just is it just a joke on social media? So you know, just be aware of what everybody's saying." So in an eight to one vote, the court ruled that the states lacked standing to challenge the guidelines in the first place. So remember all those uh, all those uh, uh, court cases against the when, that Trump challenged the election in all these different states. And everybody goes, well, you know, the court the court ruled on this stuff. They didn't rule. They refused to hear it because they said it lacked standing. I'll talk about that in a second. In the majority opinion, Justice Brett Kavanaugh wrote Texas and Louisiana want a federal court to order the executive branch to alter its arrest policies so as to make more arrests. Federal courts have not traditionally entertained that kind of lawsuit. Indeed, the states cite no precedent for the lawsuit like this. Hmm. That's a peculiar uh, position. Now let's talk about what standing means. Here's the definition. Sufficient connection to and harm from the law or action challenged. Does Texas have sufficient connection to and harm from the Biden administration's deporting fewer 
illegal immigrants than they already do? I say yes. I say hell yes. I say absolutely yes. So Brett Kavanaugh is saying this is about precedent, but standing has nothing to do with precedent. Kavanaugh and Roberts joined the liberal justices in majority opinion. Coney Barrett and Gorsuch each wrote separate concurring opinions that reached the same conclusion with different legal rationale. Only Alito dissented, arguing that Texas and Louisiana had met the requirements for standing, which we agree with, and should have been allowed to sue. So this is kind of like uh, this is kind of like uh, when you're they say well, there's no precedent for this. Well, hey, I'm going for my first job. I'm I'm 15. I'm lying saying I'm 16. I'm going to get a job at a at a restaurant because that's what my big brother did, and uh, I'll bust tables and do that. And uh, and they say, well, do you have any experience? No, I'm looking for my first job. Okay, well we we need some experience before. Well, how do you get experience if you can't get your first job unless you have experience? So, you know, the fact, hey, well, no one's ever done this before. Well, there's a lot of things going on in this country that have never been done before, So, which warrants these kind of things. So let's go on to federal election laws. The court's decision on Moore versus Harper, which, is, which involved an attempt to limit the authority that state courts have over federal elections. Of course, let me just, let me just uh, add in here. Uh, I don't see very many federal elections that aren't also state elections and also local elections. Well, you got the you've got the uh, the state assemblymen and the state uh, senators and the federal congressmen and senators and the president, and then we have the local uh, city councilmen and the mayors and uh, you know electing local judges, and uh, then we got the propositions that are for the most part for the most part usually more local stuff. So hey, you know what? They want to change election law. They can't change election law for federal elections. But those are also state elections, so that's a kind of a uh, conflict there. The justices' 6-3 to three vote rejected so-called independent state legislature, a legal theory that would have given state lawmakers the power to set rules for federal elections in their states. Again, you want to set rules for elections, and if it's a federal election, which... Every two years, there's a federal election, and that's the same time they do the local and state elections. So, uh, so I guess I guess the states could actually actually have separate elections. But you imagine how much that would cost every state. Hey, well, this is the rules for the federal election, but when you come over to the state part, you got to show your ID and you got to be a legal citizen and blah blah blah. So, by rejecting this theory, the court determined that only the federal government has the final word on setting federal election rules. So the Supreme Court stated that the states can make their own decisions on abortion, but not elections. Hmm. That's interesting. Just keep that in the back of your mind. This lawsuit was originally brought by North Carolina Republican lawmakers who had sued to appeal a state court ruling that struck down their congressional map. So remember, gerrymandering is only okay when the Democrats do it. So, you know, they changed, they changed the congressional map so that, you know, they, so it, so it advantage to whoever they want to have advantage to. So let's use, let's use, uh, Riverside County and let's talk about Ken Calvert. Ken Calvert's been the re- Republican congressman in Corona and Riverside. Uh, and I think that goes down into Lake Elsinore and maybe Temecula as well. Um, for, for, I don't know, 20, 30 years probably. And when they redid the congressional maps, they added Coachella Valley. Coachella Valley and a lot of that area is 
is just rife with Democrats, which makes makes his uh, so apparently the Inland Empire the 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 area where Calvert is is mostly Republicans. Well, hey, the Democrats redrew the maps so that they they'd stuff a bunch of of uh, Democrats, you know, from Palm Springs and that kind of that kind of area where you got a lot of uh, LGBTQ people, and they're typically Democrats. So let's add that to it to make it harder for him to win. Um, so that's not okay unless the Democrats do it. Um, okay, let's go on. If the court had ruled the other way. States would have more would have more control over their congressional map designs and other federal election regulations. Well, we can't have that. You know, we can't have that because there's a lot more Republican states than there are Democrat states. So that could probably uh, uh, influence the way elections go. Make it harder to cheat. Let's say, in his majority opinion, Chief Justice Chief Justice Roberts wrote, "The Constitution does not exempt state legislatures from ordinary constraints imposed by state law," which I think he means. State, meaning the nation state. Um, so if I was to rewrite the sentence, I'd say, Constitution does not exempt state legislatures from ordinary constraints imposed by federal law. State courts do not have free reign. Roberts was joined in his opinion by Justice Sotomayor, Kavanaugh, Kagan, Coney Barrett, and Brown-Jackson. Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch dissented. And if you're not sure how to feel about this ruling, maybe hearing how liberals feel about it will help you decide. So uh, Barack Hussein Obama, the uh, the king of the Democrats, uh, tweeted out, Today the Supreme Court rejected the fringe independent state legislature theory that threatened to upend our democracy and dismantle our system of checks and balances. Hmm. We wouldn't want to have more checks and balances by having the, the state actually keep an eye on things of what's happening in their state during federal elections. So uh, I just you know, you know what? Hey, that's going to upend democracy. Everything's going to upend democracy. I think they probably he could probably make this uh, the same comment about each of these decisions. And here's Morning Joe's Mika Brzezinski with Politico's Josh Gerstein. Listen to her coach him on how to explain the ruling to the low information MSNBC audience. A major ruling yesterday from the Supreme Court, which made it more difficult for the big lie to repeat itself in 2024. Well, this is pretty significant involving the 2024 presidential race and the possibility that you could have seen uh, Republicans, specifically uh, former President Trump, put forward this kind of effort to uh, put state legislatures on steroids, you might say, to say that they could be the ultimate mm-hmm. arbiter of who won an election in their state. Can you explain what what could have been if this went, if the outcome was different? If the outcome was different, uh, you could have seen a, a situation where state legislatures were um, emboldened, where some of these legal theories could have seen much more potentially credible in 2024 if we had a, n- a nail-biter type presidential election there. The notion that each state uh, should be in a position through its legislature to decide where its electors were going to go rather than some kind of recognition of the will of the voters, uh, you know, is the kind of thing that could potentially throw the whole election uh, into chaos. And, and I think the Supreme Court stepped away from that possibility with this 6-3 ruling. Yeah, so Mika Brzezinski, uh, uh, Morning Joe's crazy, crazy Democrat wife, uh, I guess crazy Democrats married crazy Democrats. Um, you know, she says, hey, this could have emboldened the, the big lie. Well, except for the big lie wasn't a lie. It was the truth that there was uh, there was election interference. 
uh, from a number of areas, but certainly at the polls, at the polls, and there was lots of evidence of that. And of course, the Supreme Court ruled that everything was legal. They never did. They legal that there was that whoever sued for it had no standing. So they said, well, we're not going to get involved in this and actually give an opinion because uh, we just don't want to upset anybody. So we got a bunch of we got a we we have some smart people as uh, Supreme Court justices, but we got a lot of people that are just uh, not very that just don't have any courage. You have to have you got to have legal knowledge and all that stuff, but you also got to have courage to be a leader in this country. So, in other words, in other words, what uh, what uh, Josh Gerstein's saying is, is that we can't have the people that are seeing what's happening at the local level where people vote. They see what's happening. We can't have them make any ruling to avoid uh, avoid fraud. We're going to have the people in uh, Washington D.C. in Congress that don't know anything about what's happening in West Virginia or North Carolina or South Carolina or Kansas. They're going to make them make the decisions on on how you deal with it. You can't have anybody say, "Hey, this is what I see happening." We can't have this. So let's go on. The next thing they ruled on was affirmative action. On Thursday, the court ruled six to three along ideological lines in the case of students for fair admissions versus Harvard. The student activist group was suing Harvard and in a separate case, the University of North Carolina for violating Title VI of the Civil Rights Act by discriminating against Asian American students for admission. By ruling in favor of students for fair admissions in both cases, the court upended more than 40 years of affirmative action precedent. In the majority opinion, Roberts wrote, many universities have, for too long, wrongly concluded that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not the challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. This nation's constitutional history does not tolerate that choice. So uh, apparently the president doesn't agree with that. In case after case, including recently, uh, just as a few years ago in 2016, the court has affirmed and reaffirmed this view that colleges could use race not as a determinative factor for admission, but as one of the factors among many in deciding who to admit from a qualified, already qualified pool of applicants. Today, the court once again walked away from decades of precedent and, make, as the dissent has made clear, the court has effectively ended affirmative action in college admissions. And I strongly, strongly disagree with the court's decision. Colleges and universities should continue their commitment to support, retain, and graduate the first students and classes, you know, companies, companies who are already realizing the value of diversity should not use this decision as an excuse to turn away from diversity either. We can't go backwards, but we're not going to let this break us. Well, I don't know what what uh, companies have to do with this. This is about admissions to college, but, you know, Joe Biden uh, doesn't often know what he's talking about in just about any subject. So, in other words, so... Where this came down to is the Asian Asian kids that are acing tests, getting the best grades, and getting the highest test scores are being were being uh, denied admission because colleges didn't want to have a whole student body of Asian kids. Well, the Asian kids get the best test scores not because Asian kids are sm- that Asians are any better than people with different color skin or different shaped eyes in them. It's because their culture, their culture pushes these kids to work. Do their homework, study, instead of going out gangbanging, instead of uh, spending their time in front of uh, video games and, and uh, you know, pushing, doing other, other activities that aren't important. 
uh, and they they push their kids to study, much like all the other all the other parents used to do. When I was a kid, you know what? Uh, you know, I was afraid to bring home bring home a a, a, a report card less than an A. And uh, you know, if I got a B, I had to do a, I had to have a big uh, explanation on how I how I ended up with a B, because my mom was on me, and uh, hey, you're smarter than that, and she'd take away privileges. So, and that's how America was, but suddenly that's not important. That's not important. And uh, and, I, and I'll give you one other example. I worked at uh, at Sears in the '80s, and I ran the auto center in uh, in Riverside. And I had opportunity to uh, hire. I needed a, t- a tire buster, someone who mounts tires. And I had the opportunity to hire the son of the CEO of Mark C. Bloom. Apparently, he had some uh, some personality uh, issues with some of the people there because his because his daddy was the head guy for the whole corporation. And uh, I wanted to hire him because he was a younger version of me, and I was told by my boss who ran the auto center, the 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 tire sales and all that stuff, well, we got to check with HR first. Nope, you can't hire him because he's white. we got to hire a black guy next. And uh, that's where affirmative action is. It's, it takes away the uh, meritocracy that, that uh, drives America. Anyway, I'm all out of time for the first half of the main event, so stay tuned for five minutes of traffic, weather, commercials, and sports. And I'll be back with lots more that happened this week. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage and host of the main event, Heard Weekends, right here on AM590 The Answer. Think about this. Your mortgage rate is at 3%, but your car loan is now at 10 or 11%. Over the past year, the average car payment has risen from $400 to $800. Rates on your credit cards have risen from an average of 14% up to 20% and higher. And across the country, credit card balances are higher now than they were before COVID. HELOCs are now at 10%. You don't want to touch your low-rate mortgage, but you're paying through the nose on all of your other debts, and it's hard to make ends meet. Solution? Do a cash-out refinance and wrap all your debt together on your house now and lower all your payments. Then, when the rates really drop next year, you can do a rate and term refinance when rates are really low and not have to pay the cash-out refinance fees to do it. If this idea makes you curious, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020, or go to edhoffman.net and click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9921, United American Mortgage Corporation, NMLS ID number 1942. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. AM 590, the answer. All the broken down cities by the left's design. And the right can't seem to get it right Most of the time Every time I go to town and vote I just come home with blues The lesser of two evils All we ever get to choose Happy birthday, America it's the 4th of July I'll get to wake up in your freedom But sometimes I wonder why Seems like everybody's pissing On red, white, and blue Happy birthday, America Whatever's left of you Welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. I don't talk a lot about uh, mortgages and finance, but I do the rest of the week when I'm not in front of the microphone. Uh, if you're uh, if you're interested in getting some information on 
on uh, uh, purchasing or financing or reverse mortgages or rearranging your debts or doing anything with the equity you have in your house and your uh, and your financing, uh, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Or go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo, and we'll do the we'll do the cyber thing. So uh, in the first half, I was talking about um, the the uh, Supreme Court decisions we got. I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't cover the uh, student loan forgiveness that they that they turned off. But we'll uh, but we'll get to that. We'll get into more detail with that next week because I got a lot of other stuff to talk about. So, uh, but hey, I say hey, for the student loan forgiveness thing, they made the right decision. Absolutely made the right decision. You uh, you uh, you sign a contract to pay some bills, pay it. All right, so let's talk about what's going, what was going on in Russia this uh, this past week. Once again, there's something going on in Russia that nobody fully understands. Because it's tough to know the truth about when, truth about anything when it comes from Russia. Matter of fact, it's tough to know the truth about anything when it comes from America either. Uh, and you know, with the advancement of AI, it's even going to be worse than that because there is going to be some evil doers out there doing some evil things with that. Uh, but of course, we know that the Beatles are going to come out with a new song because their AI is going to replicate John Lennon's voice. Uh, anyway, but that's a, that's another story. Let's look at what we do know and try to wrap our heads around yet another conflict involving the deep corruption in that part of the world. Last weekend, there was an unprecedented mutiny by one of Russia's most powerful private military organizations, the Wagner Group. Spelled the Wagner Group, but they call it the Wagner Group. So uh, that uh, that W sounds like a V, kind of like German. So uh, the Wagner Group is led by businessman Yevgeny Prigozhin. He's sometimes referred to as Putin's chef, but that's due to him owning restaurants and catering companies that have serviced the Kremlin. He's not literally uh, working for Putin as his personal chef. But he's a former confidant of Putin, and his Wagner Group is a private military contractor with the Russian Armed Forces. He's made a lot of money from the war on, on Ukraine, similar to BlackRock. So you know the organization BlackRock is uh, a bunch of ex-Navy SEALs and Army Rangers that, uh, that get out of the military and they start providing uh, private service with the skills that they earned as part of our military. If you remember the movie... Uh, uh, 13 hours. The the lost the the soldiers of Benghazi. Um, those guys were from BlackRock. They were over there uh, protecting our embassy. So uh, so he's want so uh, Prigozhin is wanted by the FBI for conspiracy to defraud the United States. the The FBI offered a two hundred fifty thousand dollar reward for information leading to Prigozhin's arrest. Why? What else? Two thousand sixteen election interference. Remember. Russia's attempt to interfere in our election was real. The fake news part of it was that Trump campaign knowingly colluded with them. So how was Pergozin involved? Remember, the Internet Research Agency, that was the Russian troll farm that infiltrated social media in 2016, created fake rally events for both Trump and Hillary Clinton. The Hillary Clinton part of the, was rarely, rarely reported, by the way. Pergozin was the primary funder of that agency. So this... This internet research agency was basically a bunch of people that were creating creating fake accounts on Twitter and probably other other uh, uh, social media um, engines. Uh, so they're creating fake accounts and bots to to make sure that the stuff spread and to uh, to post to post events that 
weren't really happening, but you know, if if enough people looked at them, maybe you get a bunch of like-minded people to create some stuff, and then they'll uh, and then you know, it looks like more stuff is happening than they really are. Hey, we're having a we're having a rally over here uh, tomorrow afternoon for such and such. And I say, well, I'm for that, but I don't. But I'm tied up on Saturday, so I don't ever know if it really happened or not. So. So that was what the uh, Internet Research Agency was doing there. They're, they're creating a bunch of fake stuff. So he makes his money from Russian government, and yet he staged a coup against Putin. That makes sense. It started last Friday when Pergozin alleged that Russian forces had attacked the Wagner camps in eastern Ukraine, killing dozens of his men. We don't, and we, don't know, we still don't know if that's true. Pergozin sent his troops toward Moscow in retaliation, and over the next two days, Belarusian President Lukashenko brokered a deal between Prigozhin and Putin's Kremlin to bring the mutiny to an end. Again, this is just what we're being told. We don't know if any of that's true, but it sure took up the uh, sure took up the the TV uh, TV time uh, on uh, over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday. The Kremlin says the deal included forcing Wagner Group soldiers to join the Russian Defense Ministry, also known as Putin's military, in exchange for dropping criminal charges against Prigozhin. Okay, hey, you guys are fighting against us, so uh, we're going to make you a deal. We won't come after you guys if you join our our people. Mm, I just don't feel like mercenary groups would go for that. Seems I'm going to call BS on it. Is this true? It seems still up in the air. And was Pergozin's 48-hour convoy to Moscow last weekend a true rebellion with a genuine intent to overthrow Putin? That's also up in the air. Pergozin released a statement on on the messaging app Telegram where he claimed he called off the march to save the lives of Russian servicemen, even though his fighters had already killed some. And I usually thought, hey, we want to save the lives of of the of the civilians. You know, when we're fight, when we're coming after a when we're coming after a government and their and their military, that we usually kill military guys. Yeah, but we want to save the fighters. The fighters of the the Russian servicemen. Eh, he also made mention of he also made no mention of any deal brokered with the Kremlin. We did not have the goal of overthrowing the existing regime and the legally elected government, which was said many times. We turned around in order not to shed the blood of Russian soldiers. So he said we did not have the goal to shed the blood of these soldiers. Well, what were you doing then? We were not. No, oh, we did not have the goal of overturning the the duly elected regime. Well, what were you doing then? All this stuff doesn't make sense because it's BS. I heard somebody say that you know maybe the uh, maybe that uh, that Putin orchestrated this because he wanted he wanted the rest of the world to see him as weak just before he comes on really strong and we have our guard down. So Prigozhin was last seen being driven away Saturday in an SUV. No word on where he is now. And on Wednesday, the New York Times reported that Putin was preparing to punish anyone involved in the rebellion. So uh, who knows where he is? Maybe he's not even alive. So what can we trust about any of this information? Morgan Ortega, former Trump State Department spokesman, said this on Monday. 
It's also hard to read into it when we don't know if any of it's true, right? When we don't know if we're even being told the truth with any of it. I mean, what makes sense about it, right? So you've got the Wagner group. They get so close to Moscow and just all of a sudden Prigozhin decides, oh, we don't want Russian blood to be spilled. You're a mercenary warlord for hire who has operated in 30 countries. You didn't think that's what you were getting into. It just doesn't make sense. And you have people like Rebecca Koffler, who has worked in U.S. intelligence, studied Putin for a living, just wrote a book about Putin, who said she believes that this is a false flag, that none of what we're being told is true. And I believe that that makes the most sense. And our viewpoint on all of this has become so distorted. There's no room for honesty of what's going on in Ukraine, what the actual conclusion of it's going to be. So I just don't think we are being told the truth in any of this. So it's hard to draw any conclusions from what is probably a lie. Yeah, we don't know what's going on in Russia. We don't know what's going on in Ukraine, but we do know what's it's one thing that's happening in Ukraine. They're getting lots and lots and lots of our money. And likely lots and lots and lots of that is going back into Biden, the Biden crime family's bank accounts. Oh, I mean, into various LLC corporate accounts that will uh, get transferred around between other LLCs, then into the Biden family accounts. Uh, you know, and it, and people are starting to say, why do we keep sending money? And I wonder, and, and I'll just, I'll just veer off the, the course here a little bit. Um, when we did that debt ceiling thing and said, said, hey, here's what we can spend here, how does Biden get to keep just saying, okay, we're going to send more money, we're going to send more money? Is there no accountability for any of that? Biden can just keep spending money um, on saving another country? All right, I digress. Let me get back to it. Meanwhile, what did our president have to say? A whole lot of nothing. Let me say a few words about the events in Russia. The situation began to develop as it did. I directed my national security team to monitor closely and report to me hour by hour. I instructed them to prepare for a range of scenarios. I also convened our key allies on a, on a Zoom call to make sure we we're all on the same page. It's critical that we're in a coordinated in our response and coordinated in what we to anticipate. We agree, they agreed with me that we had to make sure we gave Putin no excuse let me emphasize, we gave Putin no excuse to blame this on the West or to blame this on NATO. We made clear that we were not involved. We had nothing to do with it. This was part of a struggle within the Russian system. I also talked at length with President Zelensky of Ukraine. I'll be keeping in contact with him. I may be speaking him later today, early tomorrow morning, to make sure we continue to remain on the same page. I told him that no matter what happened in Russia, we say it again, no matter what happened in Russia, we, the United States, would continue to support Ukraine's defense and its sovereignty and its territorial integrity. He and I agreed to follow up and stay in constant contact. We're going to keep assessing the fallout of this weekend's events and the implications for Russia and Ukraine. But it's still too early to reach a definitive conclusion about where this is going. The ultimate outcome of all this remains to be seen. But no matter what comes next, I will keep making sure that our allies and our partners are closely aligned in how we are reading and responding to the situation. It's important we stay completely coordinated. So in other words, what he said was, no matter what, it's not our fault. Not my fault. You know, what I hear hear there is peace through cowardice. What a what a loser. All right. So let's talk about some more uh, some more juicy stuff. Uh, some real Hunter Biden bombshells. At this point, it's easy to dismiss another Hunter Biden bombshell. After all, 
Some details have been out there for years. We just didn't hear about them because they were overshadowed by COVID or Black Lives Matter or the election or something always comes up whenever there's some uh, some bad some bad news, some bombshells that invi- involve the Biden family. Let's just uh, make sure we have something else to uh, suck up, suck all the air out of the room so people won't notice. And now we see that Hunter is hardly being held accountable for even the smallest of crimes like tax evasion. But this week we have some true Hunter Biden bombshells. And despite what you heard on The View, it's a lot more than Joe Biden loving his son. It's just about fatherly love. Yeah. I don't know. I, I love my sons. And, uh, if, uh, and, you know, if, if they pulled some crap like this, I would have to say, hey, you know what? I can't back you up on these kind of things. You know, I'm going to do what I, what I would do as a father, but you know, hey, if you're corrupt. Oh, but he has to stand by him because he was involved in all this stuff. So this new info is courtesy of IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley, the supervisory agent who helped oversee the IRS investigation of Hunter. Shapley gave testimony to the House Ways and Means Committee, the second House committee to have an active investigation into Hunter Biden. As a 14-year veteran IRS agent, Shapley saw what he's calling special treatment in the probe of Joe Biden's son. But let's get to the bombshells. Bombshell number one. Shapley revealed that in November 2018, the investigation into Hunter was first opened as an offshoot of a different IRS matter, an investigation into a foreign-based amateur pornography platform. Well, that is new information. We never heard that. How did that investigation lead to the IRS to Hunter? Surprise, surprise, because the IRS saw that Joe Biden's son was writing off pornographic purchases, drug deals, and yes, sex clubs as a business expenses. More on that in a minute. Bombshell number two. I was right last week when I said there's no way Hunter only owed the IRS $100,000 for two years. The truth is he owed more than 500000 for 2017 and 600000 for 2018. And of course, over the next three years, uh, over a million. But Shapley says prosecutor David Wise was blocked from bringing charges on all of it. Here's some of Shapley's CBS News interview with Jim Axelrod. If this was any other person, they likely would have already served their sentence. Gary Shapley was a lead IRS supervisory agent in Operation Sportsman, the investigation into Hunter Biden. Shapley said he uncovered conduct that warranted more serious charges. There were personal expenses that were taken as business expenses. Prostitutes, sex club memberships, hotel rooms for purported drug dealers. How much did Hunter Biden owe in taxes? So from 2014 to 2019, it was $2.2 million. Wow. That sounds like a misdemeanor, $2.2 million of of, uh, tax evasion. Hmm. Maybe even tax protesting. Uh, What would happen to me if I did that? Um... So uh, here's here's another thing on the uh, on the sex club. Damon Damon Lawner, founder of the Sanctum Sex Club in L.A., wrote a now deleted post on Instagram. Hunter was a member at Sanctum, and I canceled his membership after one party because he's a scumbag. Membership is seventy five thousand dollars a year. The IRS found that Hunter Biden wrote off expenses like this membership as a business expense. And for those of you that are wondering, what's a sex club? Because uh, that's what that's what I said when I read this story. It said, you know, a sex club. Apparently, uh, it's a club you go to, and everybody there. It's like a nightclub, and everybody's there not for dancing and not for uh, having cocktails, but it's for dancing and cocktails and sex. Uh, not to meet someone so you can date them and go have sex, but hey, 
we're all going to be having sex with someone tonight. Didn't even know these things existed. Uh, bombshell number three. In summer 2017, Hunter demanded $10 million from his Chinese counterparts to further his joint venture with CEFC China Energy. In one text, Hunter demanded that the Chinese executives, quote, follow his orders, and stated that his father, who is now the president of the United States, was sitting right next to him. So according to Hunter, not only did Joe know about what his son did with foreign businesses, but he also endorsed his son's effort to shake $10 million out of these guys who had ties to the Chinese Communist Party in exchange for access to Joe Biden. Gary Shapley says the texts were retrieved after IRS issued a search warrant to Apple. Here's one from Hunter to CEFC executive Raymond Zhao. So remember Zhao because there's an, the, later there's a Zhang there's a Zhang in there. So um, so here's the one of the texts that he sent uh, uh, to CEFC executive Raymond Zhao on July 30th, 2017. Quote: I'm sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you. Zhang or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows, that you will regret not following my direction. I'm sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Hmm, that's peculiar, but Joe doesn't know anything about it. Five days later, on August 3rd, one from Hunter to CEFC associate, Gongwen Kevin Dong. K, very simple, $10 million per annual budget to use further to use to further the interest of the joint venture. This move to $5 million is completely new to me and is not acceptable, obviously. If the chairman doesn't value this relationship as being worth at least $5 million, then I'm just baffled. So this is Hunter expressing his displeasure that CEFC had initially promised to pay him $10 million and then slashed the amount in half to $5 million. The message continues. Please, Let's put this to bed tonight and sign officially tomorrow or anytime as late tonight as you want and get to work. I'm tired of this, Kevin. I can make $5 million in salary at any law firm in America. If you think this is about money, it's not. The Bidens are the best I know at doing exactly what the chairman wants from this partnership. Hmm. What is the, what does the chairman want from this partnership? He wants Biden to sell out America. He wants the Chinese to to be able to just uh, take advantage of, of Biden's greed and, uh, and lack of America first attitude and take over America. And still, Joe Biden said this on Wednesday. President Biden, how involved were you in your son's Chinese shakedown text message? Were you sitting there? Were you involved? No. No, I wasn't involved. I didn't know I wasn't there. Yeah, right. So who is the chairman in this case? From House Oversight Committee tweet on Tuesday, who is the chairman? Yi Yi Jianming, not Xi Jinping. Yi Jianming is a Chinese billionaire tied to the CCP intelligence gathering agency. Yi stated that CEFC China's vision is to obtain overseas resources and serve the national strategy. So let me just rephrase that last part myself. To obtain overseas resources and serve the Chinese national strategy. Let's take resources from the United States and serve the China's national strategy. He wanted to expand China's reach and influence around the world. The next tweet goes on says, as more facts come to light 
becomes even more evident that the Bidens put China and their interests first and America last. So let's read, let's read that text again. The Bidens are the best I know at doing exactly what the chairman wants from this partnership. So how much money did Hunter Biden actually end up with? On Wednesday, Shapley told Fox's Brett Baer what the IRS has confirmed Hunter Biden earned in foreign income over the five-year period they investigated. Based on all of the financial records that we did find, you know, they've been, they've been analyzed. And it was around $8.3 million he received. From who? They came from, from China, from CEFC, came from Ukraine, and from Romania. $8.3 million that he, uh, he got from foreign countries selling out our country and didn't pay taxes on it. That sounds like a misdemeanor to me. Yeah, right. So, so Hunter, Hunter owed $2.2 billion, $2.2 million. Uh, unlike what we said last week that, uh, that it was 200,000. Last week we discussed that he got some kind of a loan or donation from some guy in, uh, in Hollywood that's trying to make a movie or, or do a book on, 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 uh, on the Bidens. But Hunter met this guy at some campaign fundraising event. We also heard that the DOJ would only let Weiss charge Biden with just the information from 17 and 18, not the whole thing. So that makes it look more minor. That, that makes it look more minor. In addition, there was another four hundred thousand dollars from uh, from Barisma that Hunter didn't even didn't even report, and therefore didn't pay taxes on it. Hmm, I think about what would happen to me if I did that. It wouldn't be pretty. So if you watch the interviews, you heard Shapley talk about the DOJ blocking his team's ability to get a search warrant approved on Hunter's storage unit in Virginia. But it's worse than that. By March 2020, the IRS had enough probable cause on Hunter's shady business to seek physical search warrants in a total of four states, Virginia, New York, California, and Arkansas. But throughout 2020, career Department of Justice officials, even in the Trump administration, would not let any of Shapley's IRS team overt investigation actions to proceed. In other words, the DOJ blocked the search warrants. They were able to get that electronic search warrant approved in August 2020, which is how they got the text messages we just read. And all this is still two months before Tony Bobolinsky came forward with what, what with what he knew and three months before the election. And they had all this stuff before we ever went to the polls for the 2020 election. So I don't know. It was that big lie. It was that big lie that, that uh, the election was stolen. Is that a lie? Sounds like the truth to me. I don't know. I just use my logically thinking brain. I listen to uh, CNN. I listen to Fox. I listen to Newsmax. I listen to PMS, NBC, and I add all these things up with what makes sense to me in in my life experience, and I come up with an answer. So anyway, I'm a lot of time for this episode. So have a great, safe Fourth uh, of July weekend. And next week, I'll be broadcasting to you from Montana. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage and host of the main event, Heard Weekends, right here on AM590 The Answer. Think about this. Your mortgage rate is at 3%, but your car loan is now at 10 or 11%. Over the past year, the average car payment has risen from $400 to $800. Rates on your credit cards have risen from an average of 14% up to 20% and higher. And across the country, credit card balances are higher now than they were before COVID. HELOCs are now at 10%. You don't want to touch your low-rate mortgage, but you're paying through the nose on all of your other debts, and it's hard to make ends meet. 
Solution, do a cash-out refinance and wrap all your debt together on your house now and lower all your payments. Then when the rates really drop next year, you can do a rate and term refinance when rates are really low and not have to pay the cash-out refinance fees to do it. If this idea makes you curious, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Or go to edhoffman.net and click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9921. United American Mortgage Corporation, NMLS ID number 1942. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. AM 590, the answer.